Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Okay, so Mark Gellard, welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. Uh, we've been a bit lax, haven't we, with the podcast as uh, we both had a bit of a break. How are you? Where are you? And what are you doing? Hi, Candy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we've really slacked a little bit these last uh, <laughs> few weeks. Um, the end of the season came, and so I took uh, holiday mode, literally. So I have not been uh, keeping up to date with everything that I should have been, but um, nice to be back and back home in Florida in, in my own bed for a while. Is it a little bit like uh, when you've really done a, a big project of work and then you just sort of need to... I don't know what what the word is, but just sort of blow it all out and just not think about work again for a while. Yeah, I think it's a phase for me of, of actually when you finally stop the travel and the work, and that's actually it tends to be where your body breaks down. So there was a bit of you know a few days of sickness and tiredness, and mm. you have that decompression phase. Decompression—that's that. the word I was going for. Yeah, and you're so used to this constant adrenaline highs and lows and the travel and all of a sudden you get home and it's almost just flat and mm. silent and you're alone and you say, oh, so it's it's an unusual, weird feeling for players and for coaches, actually. Alone, but for the cockroaches? Yeah, got them out. They're out of my house now. I mean, for a couple <laughs> of weeks there, I was getting a uh, mortgage, had their name on it when the bill was coming through the mail. So finally <laughs> kicked them out, evicted <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. So how long will you take as a break? And then when will you get to pre-season? So Magda had an extra week on from me, really, because I, I ended up coming home after a few days after Zhuhai went to England and then came back. She still had to go play Fed Cup, Billie Jean King Cup in the, in the finals in Madrid. So they did that, uh, which lasted an extra week. So she's really had a long season. She didn't really get done till about the 12th or 13th. So um, she hasn't had a long break. So we're going to postpone the beginning of our of our training block this year in the off season. So she's not going to get a lot, but probably on the 27th, 28th, she'll start in the gym, just doing gym work for, for a week with no tennis. Because I find that for me, the issue is, is the mental fatigue as much as anything else because of that. Just holding a racket, standing on a court with balls in your hand, you, you your brain starts to have thoughts about maybe some scars that you've had mentally from matches you've lost or how my forehand didn't feel good or my serve was bad and the best way for me to remedy that sometimes is a full break for a couple of weeks and it clears up and you know a lot of those scars are healed over so she'll get in the gym and uh, start with that for a week and then we'll get on court probably around the first or second of December. What has Magda been doing in her off time? So she's been in Poland for a few days, well, longer than that, uh, spending time with family. She acquired new cats for her family. She bought for <laughs> her mom and sister. So been spending time with them. And then she's gone on holiday now with a friend in in uh, Caribbean area. So oh, very nice. A, a so she'll time. be rested and, and relaxed. I remember you saying last year that you changed the off season from years previously and that you did less. Is that the plan in the off-season here ahead of the Australian Open? Yeah, I know there's some anxiety from her because this will be the shortest off-season we've ever had, just because we finished so much later than we've ever finished. Mm. Um, this year, again, with the, we're not going to be playing United Cup, but you have Brisbane and Adelaide those, those weeks. So you need to be leaving the States probably by the 25th or 26th. So we're probably getting three, three and a half weeks at the most, which is definitely the shortest we've ever had. 
normally like right. to have about five five and a half but you have to balance you have to weigh it out and say well yeah but we played a lot more this year so the the, the time logged on court is no different it's just separation of when we're having a break so but it's just a little bit of a mental mindset change that she's going to have to adjust to uh this year you must have some sympathy for the men because of course uh the atp finale has just finished then the davis cup is going on as we speak in a couple of days i leave for the next gen so the players under 21 are still going and will finish there on december the 3rd it really is a very short off season isn't it for some of the men uh, it's incredible how much the guys are playing. I think the issue as well in the past has been that when they tried to shorten up the calendar and the schedule, the players ended up going and playing exhibitions to make more money anyway. So it was a, a catch-22. But they, their season is incredibly long. And then you factor in that they're playing five sets as well. Um, so in a lot of the you know in the slams. So it's, it's unbelievable what they're doing. But yeah, I'm not sure if it's the smartest decision long-term, if they maybe shortened it up a bit throughout a year. They might gain an extra one or two years of longevity with the whole career, but it's very subjective. I listen to a lot of te- tennis podcasts and a lot of people say the tennis season is too long. But um, I'm interested in your point of view, because from my point of view, when I look at the flash score results, there's people still playing challenges all over the world. And it is a job, isn't it? I mean, the players are playing for the love of tennis, but also... And primarily, they're playing for the money, which is what a lot of players need if they're not the top, top. So you can understand that the tour actually needs to go on for players ranked outside the top 100. Yeah, 100%. That's why I think when I hear the complaining from a lot of the top players that having 16 or 17 mandatory events each year is too much. I don't if you can't play 16 or 17 events a year, you're not fit enough or not professional athlete. You have Mm. to be able to do that. So I think that they're mandating a minimum amount of 17. I think it might be this year is, is absolutely fine. The issue I do have is when the point situation becomes that players can wait for this kind of time in the year where it's a lot weaker, right? Because your best players are now resting, which opens up a lot of the spots in the, for the lower ranked players nice. to move in and, and gain a lot of ranking points. And that's where they have had some issues there because ultimately you want to take you want the best players at the top you want the best players playing the best events not the lower level players um because realistically even the top 100 is already a stretcher you're really looking at the top 10 that are really the ones selling the game um and everything else out of that is just sort of icing on the cake but that's the only issue for me is yeah when they haven't and they're going to make some changes next year, We've, as we've discussed, with the calendar, the scheduling and the point distribution to sort of align more with the ATP to make sure they don't run into any more scenarios like that. Talking of um, the best, we've just seen Novak Djokovic win the ATP Tour finale once again. Uh, have you got any words to to say about him? Because he's he's an absolute genius, isn't he? I, he is incredible. I I don't, you'd be hard pressed to find a better athlete in any sport in the world. I don't Mm. know if there is anyone. I mean, to do it in an individual sport through this many generations, it's, it's, yeah, I don't have the words to be honest with you that my vocabulary in English isn't good enough. I'd love to know uh, how strict he is at home because you've got to believe the way he Mm. is and his age and how many times he's winning that every minute of his day is just organised and dedicated for tennis. And how hard is that to do? You can understand half of the year maybe being able to do it, but he seems to be doing it 365 days of the year. Yeah, I I have had the opportunity of talking over the years with people close to him, and they exactly like you said, every minute of the day is accounted for, whether it's 
now's the time to have your shake, stretch, breathing exercises, tennis, fitness, sleep. It's it's all managed down to the finest detail. Yeah. Um, which is why he's so good at what he does. I mean, it was you just knew in the final this week when he played Sinner again, there was no chance he was going to lose twice. There's just no way. And he just changed it up. There was a really um, good article on the ATP website about how he completely changed the game against Sinner. In the past, he's also been serving a lot of second serves to the forehand. And then against Sinner, he worked his forehand a lot more than his backhand. And it was really detailed in the Craig O'Shaughnessy piece. And he's just a master. Who do you think is doing that? Is that the coaching team? Is that Novak himself? I definitely think it's it's a combination of both because I think one thing is you can plan for everything, but if on that day that serve that you want to use isn't working or the opponent's return is working really well, it's down to the player to make corrections on the fly. But I think before the match, he's going to be given all of the information about the opponent. They're going to come up with a way of exploiting Yannick's weaknesses, which is very hard to do because there aren't many. Mm. But at that level, it's a point here and a point there, which is, I think, 55. If you win 55% of the points of a match, you win 6-3, 6-3. So it's it's really minute details and um, differences. So I think he would have had all the information the team puts together the plan, but then it's down to him to execute it and make sure that, as I said, that day, you know, some days I've told Magda, listen, we need to serve a lot of, of body serves. But for example, what for whatever reason that day, she's come out serving on fire and everything she hits is an ace. So for <laughs> that, that, that plan is out of the window because you just got to go with how you feel because how the player feels on the court that day, that moment is far more important than any plan you created before you went on court. Unbelievable. And and you've got to think that he's after Jimmy Connors' record. I think it's 109 titles. So that's the one that he's got to be after, isn't it? And I, I would imagine the Paris Olympics. Do you see him ever slowing down? I mean, I think he's got to be getting towards the end. But I, am I right in saying he has not won an Olympics? Is that Singles. right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And he always plays well the year before an Olympics. So he's obviously played well three major titles, one major final, ATP NITO final champion. And then, of course, he's going to be playing Davis Cup and playing Great Britain in the first round. You wonder if there's a little part of that with the correlation that he, oh, he's, he's worked himself so hard that year leading into the Olympics that by the time he gets there, he's a bit out of gas. He's yeah. going to have to... That's where this coaching team he has now is going to have to do a great job scheduling his tournaments, practice and everything to make sure that he doesn't, you know, burn himself out before Olympics. Because right. I think that's the feather in the cap that he's really wanting at this point yeah. in his career. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So just looking back at your 2023, if you had to grade yourself, the whole package, the whole team, what would you give yourself, do you think? Without the sounding, uh, how was it, ego, narcissist, egocentric? Like we had a great year. It was a great year for us. So for us, it was probably an A. Mm, but there's definitely, you know, I think that we're all realistic. And if you'd have offered us this at the end of, you know, at the start of the year, what we've achieved, we would have taken it. But then there's a lot of things to improve. So an A slash B. I think there's a lot of things that me and Ian can do better this year whether it's on the court with certain things or off the court with scheduling. I know I have a lot of things I can do better. Um, And I know Magda's, you know, excited about going out there. And, you know, we know that next year 
it's not going to be exactly the same. Even if you have just a good a year, you're not going to make semifinals of Australia and then do the same in every event that you did this year. It could be that you you maybe don't do so well in Australia, but you do really well in the French Open this year mm. or Wimbledon. You know, it just it just comes at different times. So um, as long as we're ready, you know, prepared, I feel good about next year. It was a growing year. Was it uh, and a successful year? Do you think you've learned a lot of lessons? Yes, a lot. I learned a lot of things. Um, number one was how not to do things. That was really <laughs> a big lesson. Um, lots of mistakes. Um, and and realize the value of having a coach that's been through this kind of thing before. Um, so, you know, I wish I'd had this opportunity to do this five years ago in my career. So that by the time it happened with Magda, I was a little bit more prepared for the on-court and off-court mm. things that we would encounter. Um, however, saying that, um, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a coach and he said that's true, but also every player is different. So maybe what you did with Magda this year was was not right, but it would have been right with somebody else. So it's such a tricky one. But I think, yeah, that's where the, va- the value, the, the tangible or intangible, the quality of experience is so important. And hindsight is just one of those things, isn't it? Because you so many times in life in general, you look back and think, oh, I just wish I'd chosen differently but uh, it is all a learning experience so let's just say um you Magda retires in a few years and you pick up another player and she's in this same situation what would you do differently if she'd reached the semi-finals of a major I think um obviously again it depends on the player but I think that after Australia we we felt that it was a appropriate time to try and improve some areas because we said if this is what we're doing well right now if we can just add a little bit more of this Mm. or take away a little bit more of that we can do even better she saw that as a well why are you changing something why are you doing things differently now when I've just had the best result Mm. I've ever had so it was a little bit of a personality issue there I think there was things where I definitely I've talked before about scheduling I would have dialed back the schedule a little bit um, and then tried to manage. I would. I think I actually would have got more involved in, you know, off-court stuff in terms of not allowing quite so much stuff to happen early on after Australia. Right. Those first few days is okay when she went back to Poland, but after that it can be very demanding. And I see that she's more aware of what's going on online, what people are saying, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah definitely think- some of those things. That's really difficult to manage, isn't it? Because it is all the media stuff. That's the stuff that the general public don't see is how much these players have to do before, during and after a tournament if they're successful. And it's so wearing, isn't it? Emotionally, because you're doing an interview with this player and this person and that person and they're lasting 10 minutes and then you've got to wait and then you've got to do the chat and then you have to go and you know show something uh, a nice vase or you know your help your sponsors and it's just so time consuming and emotionally demanding that um, it must be very very difficult so is that something that you're going to take a bit more care of and and perhaps advise her better this year yes i think that's going to be a really big part of it and i know that she's going to get most likely a lot of criticism this year if she doesn't you know, maintain or even improve what she's already done. But the way I've said it to her, I said, listen, most of the players that you're competing against, most of the girls on the tour are are trying to attain and dreaming of achieving what you've already done. So, you know, they've still got a lot to do. Mm. They've still got all their work ahead of them. 
we've done what we we set out to do now we can just add to that there's no way that this can be taken from you so let's go out there and play with that sort of aggressive mentality have you already sorted out your whole year 2024 or have you done half of year or how do you work that out with your co-coach Ian Hughes we we have an idea uh, of what we're going to do but obviously this year is going to be a little bit different it's going to be unique with the Olympics being in the middle of the year so mm-hmm. we go you know hard through Australia then we go on to the clay court season then we do the grass then we go back to the clay for Olympics then we go back onto the hard for the US Open series so we definitely we have a rough idea but this is going to be a challenging year for all the players because there's going to be a lot of surface changes and as you see a lot of people complaining about all the ball issues and things like that but I I don't have a big issue with that. I just think it's going to be something that's where that you have to have a team around you and you have to be good mentally to know how to deal yeah. with this stuff. Because the reality is they're never going to have one ball for all events. Not It just doesn't, it's not going to work because sponsors are what's choosing yeah. the ball. And of course, these tournaments have signed on to use the Sazinger ball, the Dunlop ball, the Babolat ball, haven't they, for X amount of years. So they can't just pull out of the contract. Exactly. It's it's. It, I think it's easy for players to complain about, and maybe in an ideal world, it would be nice to have the same ball. But the problem is, there'll be certain players that if you go on the tour, some people say, "I hate Wilson U.S. Open ball." Yeah. And other players say, "I love. I hate Dunlop." So, okay, we'll give you consistency, but it'll be with the ball you dislike the most. Yeah. Do you like that? <laughs> right. There you go. No, You've got every answer. week. Exactly. So and um, being um, an Olympic year, will Magda aim just for singles in Paris, or will she do doubles as well? Most likely, um, you know what? That's a great question. I think I know that singles is always the priority, but it will depend on her ranking and the ranking of other players in the Polish team. Yeah. I would I would need to check into that one because I'll be honest with you, this will be the first year that I'll actually probably be more involved in the Olympics. I may end up going this year. Um, I didn't last one. So um, there's a lot more nuances to know how this works, um, mm. to be honest with you. I'll have to do some research. Yeah, and you have to get uh, maybe Igor on side because they will be the two Polish top players, won't they? So that makes the the most sense. That wouldn't be a bad doubles partner to have. <laughs> You'd take I'd, ra- I'd much I'd much rather uh, on the same side of the net as us than on the opposite <laughs> side. Do you have any idea how the other uh, players, your opponents, essentially are training? Are you because you're in Florida and in, in the part of the world where they, a lot of them do train? Are you seeing them out on the courts yet, or nobody yet? I've seen a lot, to be honest with you. I haven't been near a tennis court and I don't want to see a tennis court at the moment, <laughs> but I've seen a few people posting. I think Sabalenka and some of the players have already started training. But I also think you have to remember with them as uh, one is that they're machines, but two is that she also didn't have Billie Jean King Cup, yeah. which also delayed everything for you know players like Magda for another week or 10 days. Okay. So um, their season was a fraction shorter, but... Um, She's also a good few years younger than, than Magda as well, and that all starts to add up. At this point, we've got to now, it's it's almost like Ian and I said, the key here is not getting on the court and fixing a lot of problems. It's actually the rest is the best medicine for her right now, yeah. mentally cleaning out her mind, fresh slate, relax the body, because you know the last month, although it was a struggle, it was definitely more of a fatigued, physical, mental struggle rather than oh, geez, we can't hit our forehand anymore, our serve has gone mm. bad. It's just, yeah, so it's just managing what she needs right now. Well, hopefully you are having a nice rest. And uh, just finally, if you had, could have anything for Christmas, what would it be? Final Australian Open. 
Perfect. So go one more this year. <laughs> you don't want to win the title. You just want to get to the final. No, we're just incremental. I'm not greedy. I just like incremental <laughs> improvements. There we go. Not greedy, Mark Gellard. Thanks for your time and, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Candy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.